We're continuing on in our spiritual gift series tonight, and I think it's going to be um, something that's really significant for us as we consider uh, what it means for us to live as people of power. It's really what I hope we walk away with tonight is really in our lives expecting an increased level of encounter with God, and as a result of that encounter, us stepping into the fullness of, he, of the things He has for us tonight. So I just want us to just be open tonight. I want us to be willing to live lives of open-handedness tonight. I think we got to loosen up a little bit and just kind of be ready. So let's give me a one clap, just a one clap. (laughs) How about a woot? All right, good. All right. So tonight we're talking about miracles and that we would be people who are stepping into miracles. And I've been thinking about this concept all week long, and I was on the west side of town Thursday night And as I was driving back, I was getting off 408, going around that curve onto I-4. And as I'm going around that curve onto I-4, I think to myself, maybe I should just move to Africa because all the stories of miracles I hear seem to come from third world countries. And maybe I just can't live the fullness of the things that God has called me to live as a follower of him in America. But then I think, obviously, God has called me to be someone who is a manifester of the kingdom. Manifester. I don't think that's a word, but a manifester of the kingdom everywhere I go. And I don't have to go over there to experience the fullness of God. God so desperately desires to manifest his fullness right here where I am through me and in me and with me. And you and I are called to be people of the miraculous and not just to talk about it, but to live in it and to step out in it. And it takes a huge level of faith tonight. And so I want to talk to us tonight about the picture of what it might look like for us to be a people who expect the miraculous. And then what is God's heart in all of that? And then finally, I want us to look at the heart that we adopt from God as we step into, the peop- into being people who are full of the miraculous. As we think about the miraculous tonight, I love this idea from Acts chapter 19. We look at all these miracles in the Bible, and then as we continue along in Acts, it says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Not just those normal, regular, raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind miracles. Like, there's a whole nother level of miracle. Paul's doing these extraordinary miracles. And in fact... Not only is Paul doing extraordinary miracles, but I think this is true. That whatever we've heard about and whatever we've seen, those things are only the beginning. And so we see Paul doing extraordinary miracles. We see Jesus opening the eyes of the blind and raising people from the dead. We see all of these prophets in the Old Testament like calling fire on soggy altars. And just like walking across bodies of water as they part before him. Those are just regular miracles. And then Paul does extraordinary miracles, which in my opinion seems a little bit redundant. But all of that is only the beginning of the fullness of the life that God is calling us into. As we experience the reality of what he has promised us, which is increasing glory. Moving from glory to glory. Moving from where we are today. And all of the foundation that we see built up for us in the pages of the Bible into the fullness of what he has for us today and tomorrow. And so what does it look like for us to live this kind of life? Well, to answer that question, let's start by looking back at the miracles of Scripture. Why do those exist? Why is God performing miracles? And we think about this question and we look at the miracles of the Bible, and I think that there are several reasons or effects that come as the result 
of the, uh, the miracles in Scripture. And some of those are related to provision. Some of those are related to signs and wonders and favor and protection and power. Let's look at a few examples of these. So when it comes to provision, we see the Israelites, they've been rescued from Egypt. They're wandering around the desert, and they're hungry. And so God provides manna for them. And we experience this today as we talk about moving into Alden, which is oh so close. Promise, I promise, it's oh so close. You can give a woot to that. Yeah. Uh, and, and just a couple weeks ago, we had the opportunity to share the, the, the testimony of provision as we were faced with this $27,000 transportation impact fee. And the city said, you know what? We'll take care of that. And so there's, there's, this, there's, there's example after example of God performing miracles as, uh, in order to provide for his people. Then we have these miracles of the signs and wonders, these glimpses of heaven, these glimpses of how things should be. And this is what we see Jesus revealing over and over again as he heals the sick and he raises the dead and he brings forgiveness of sins. And we experience those things today. And Ryan talked to us last week about healing. And God is calling us to be people who bring healing with us where we go as a sign of what heaven is like, as a sign of what earth was created to be like, as a sign of what God desires for all of us. We see miracles of favor. Esther is a really great example of this. So Esther It's a book in the Old Testament. She was a Jewish woman, and the king was looking for new people to bring into his court to be lovely ladies there. And so he did this search. And God's light just like shined on Esther, and he welcomed her into the palace. And as a result of that, as we see throughout the story of Esther and her faithfulness to God and God's favor on her life, she is able to have a a position that allows her influence in the life of the palace and in the kingdom to save all of God's people who are there. And God does these miracles related to favor. God does miracles of protection. Again, we see the Israelites moving through the desert and God protects them with a wall of smoke on their backside as the Egyptians are pursuing them. And then he opens up the Red Sea for them to, to go across. We see these miracles of power where God's power is just shown in these radical ways. Jesus feeding 5,000 people And so we have all of these examples of God doing miracles of provisions, of signs and wonders, of favor, of protection. But I don't think this is the totality of the picture. I think there's another reason God does miracles, and it's simply this, pleasure. I think God gets really happy about doing awesome stuff that makes us say, wow. And I think so often we get wrapped up in this concept of, well, the miracle has to have a reason. There has to be a purpose for all of it. And we miss God's beautiful heart in the midst of the miracle. And part of God's heart is simply because he's up there, figuratively, smiling about us, about his people, about his children, about the earth, about his creation. And he wants to see it rescued and redeemed and loved and embraced. And he wants to see us as his children just saying, wow, he's so beautiful. Just being in awe of who he is. In Psalm 115.3, it says, our God in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. And we just have this picture of a pleased God who's doing miracles simply because it's his pleasure to do them. And even as we look back at that example of that miracle of power as Jesus feeds the 5,000, we think about that in the context of, oh yeah, that was utilitarian. There was a really good purpose for that. There were people there and they needed to eat. 
But what do we see as we look at the passage in Matthew chapter 14? When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. That was plan A. And it was a simple, normal solution. Jesus could have been, you know, that's a good idea. Let's send them back to get something to eat. Even if these people would have missed a meal, it wouldn't been, have been a big deal. But Jesus, just because he found pleasure in providing for the people, just because God was smiling in that moment to see people say, wow, this is amazing, he gave Jesus the power and ability to feed 5,000 there. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. Give them something to eat. And I just love this picture of a smiling Jesus watching his disciples distribute food to 5,000 people just because it pleased God. Just because God cared about those people. Miracles point back to God and they also reflect his heart and his personality. And so this miracle of Jesus feeding these 5,000 people and all these other examples that we've talked about in the last few minutes, they point back to God. Look at God's power and his ability to feed 5,000 people from 12 loaves and a couple fish. Look at God's power and his ability to give sight to the blind and to raise people from death. And simultaneously, it says something about his heart. God cares about these people on the countryside who could have gone to the store and bought some food. God cares about these people who could have skipped a dinner. And because he cared about them, he fed them. And it says something beautiful about his heart. God's heart is in the miraculous. And I just picture Jesus smiling. I picture the Father smiling over these people as they sit in amazement on that hillside in these groups and they get fed. How is this happening? What's going on? Who is this man? And they're amazed at the life of Jesus. And I picture God smiling as the Israelites walk across dry land in the, in the Red Sea. I just can't picture God with like this stern, like nasty look on his face as Jesus feeds 5,000 people as if he's bitter about it. Like, right? Isn't it say something about God's beautiful, caring, fathering heart in these miracles? Yes, right? Don't we, don't we capture an essence of God's character in these miracles? <sighs> I think so. John 2, 1 through 5, another example of this. Just because he wanted to. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? How many times have you said that to your mom? <laughs> Jesus replied, my hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I just love this picture, like Jesus just did it because he could. And yeah, it spoke to, uh, as a testimony to the disciples of Jesus' power as the Messiah. It says in scripture, the disciples were amazed at what Jesus had done. But most of the people at the wedding had no idea where the wine came from. The people who were putting on the party didn't know. And Jesus did it just because he could. And just because he kind of like took a deep breath and said, oh, mom, and did it. And it made her smile, I'm sure. And it put the disciples in a place of awe. 
And Jesus did it just because he could. Understanding God's heart is key to our openness to miracles. When we understand God's heart in the midst of all this, it opens us up to be ready to step into these moments. As we recognize that God wants to accomplish things through us that we can't do in our own natural ability, as we see God smiling over us, as we know the Father's heart for us and the people around us, it's like this new level of thinking when it comes to the miraculous. God wants to do something amazing in your life today. I can't wait to take part in that. As opposed to what we often walk around thinking, which I think we, we often walk around thinking, let me look for a place of deficiency and maybe say a little prayer that God might do something. Or let me look like kind of for these areas of lack in the world and maybe say a prayer that God would do something. Yes, God wants to step into the voids of the universe and fill them with his power and presence. But he also wants to walk around in your life that's full of abundance and bless people through you simply because it's his heart for them. And so we don't have to exist like I was thinking earlier this week in a third world country where we look around and there's desolation. God wants to do the miraculous there and he is doing the miraculous there, but he also wants to do the miraculous where you are every day. Because his heart is for people, Matthew 7, 9 through 11 Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? God's fathering heart is for us. God wants to show himself to us in ways that are a blessing, in ways that are surprising moments of joy. Isn't it just a, an amazing thought, uh, hopefully a, a paradigm-shifting thought for us to think that God wants to do the miraculous in and through our lives because he wants to see us laugh about it. Because he's up there smiling over us as a good and benevolent father, ready to say, hey, come over here. I want to show you something. I want to reveal this thing to you. I want to use you to make that person say wow about who I am. And we're going to laugh about it later. Like that's God's heart for us as we step into the miraculous. As we, I'm glad that you're laughing. Because I think that's what this is about. Like when we think about the miraculous, it's like, it seems so heavy. It seems like, oh, like, where's the broken thing so I can fix it? Like, that's where God does miraculous things. And God's in the business of fixing broken stuff. But he's also in the business of just feeding 5,000 people because he can. Or just changing jars of water into wine because he can. Because it makes him smile. And it makes you say, wow. And it increases your faith. And it gives you a good time with the creator of the universe. And that's enough. God wants us to laugh and enjoy life with him. And when we understand that, we're much more willing, I think, to step into the miraculous. And as we encounter that God, that benevolent Father God, we create a culture of miracles. This is the way it's supposed to be. The way that I'm painting this picture is the way that life is meant to be. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 4, and 1 Thessalonians Paul talks about demonstrating the Spirit's power as an accompanying message to the gospel. That here's the content of the the salvation message. Here's the thing I want your mind to comprehend. Here's the thing I want to prick your heart. 
But here's the thing that enlivens your spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit at work alongside the information of the gospel. In, in Romans chapter 15, 19, it says, By the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is only fully proclaimed when it's accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through you. It's not enough for us to say words. I say this all the time. I love words. Words are powerful and important. In the tongue is the power of life and death. Words are important. But alongside of that is the power of the Holy Spirit performing works of of heaven and revealing the heart of the Father through power. And we see this message of expansion. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus saying, here's all the stuff I've done. You'll do all that stuff. And then you'll do greater things than that. In Acts chapter 2, Peter at Pentecost stands up and he talks about this prophecy from Joel that says, In the latter days, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Young men will dream dreams. Old men will see visions. And through them, men and women, I will pour out my spirit. There's this beautiful picture of the way things are meant to be. And that's the Holy Spirit flowing in and through you and me, performing the miraculous on a regular basis. If we just got to the point where we were doing the regular miracles, I think that'd be really awesome for us. But like Paul, like it says in Acts 19, we want to be doing the extraordinary miracles. And I have no idea what those are. For Paul, it was like he'd wipe his sweat with the handkerchiefs and they'd take them away and people would touch those and they'd get healed. And there's just these things, these things that God is doing because he can and it makes him smile. It reveals his fathering heart over us. But I think sometimes in our fear of offending God, we avoid living a life of adventure. There is this fear that seizes us. And that fear is, I don't want to offend God, so I'm going to live a boring life. And I don't, I don't want to be somebody who offends God. Like, that's not my heart tonight. I don't want us to be people who are like, yeah, whatever. I'll just do whatever I want. That's not... But we have this this false fear that God is ready to flick us when we mess up in his name. But what he's doing is saying, hey, child, I've created you to live a life of adventure. That's going to cause you to do things that make you feel really uncomfortable. And what we do is we say, I don't want to feel uncomfortable because if I go to that unknown place over there, there's a chance I'll mess up and God will be mad at me. What I think is really the life that we're meant to live, that we're created to live, is that we'd step into those unknown places, we'd step into those places of risk, risk, and we would live the life of adventure God has created us to live. And in those moments where we step out in risk, where we'll mess up if he doesn't show up, that's where we encounter him. So tonight we may be asking, Cole, I hear a lot of the things that you're talking about, and I could even say that I believe them, but I haven't experienced them, and my question to all of us, myself included, is are we stepping into that life of adventure that requires us to meet him? Because if we don't meet him, we can just do it on our own. Like, I I, I want us to step into the life of fullness of power that he's created us to step into. And that involves us living a life that gives him space to work miracles. So we talk about all of this stuff, and I think so much of it has to do with our insides, uh, of our mindset, of the way that we think, and the way that we perceive ourselves. And one of the people who's been really instrumental for me in 
um, kind of helping me understand the power of the fullness of who I am in Christ is my friend Lander, one of our elders here. And so I'm going to call him up and we're going to talk a little bit about what like the heart and mind of a miracle maker are. What do you say about that? <laughs> um, the heart and mind of a miracle maker. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you a question. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, go cool. Ahead. Um, so if we, if we look at our understanding of ourselves, uh-huh. like what's important for us to understand about who we are when it comes to being people who step out into faith? Gosh, that's such a good question, Cole. Cool. <laughs> Let me get you a stool to sit on. Okay, I'll be over here. Okay. Um, well, identity is such a foundational thing, period. Um, if we're going to be walking in any of the gifts or just in who we are, um, identity being that we are sons or sons and daughters, if you want to use that language too. Um, so we have been brought into sonship. We are no longer orphans. Jesus was sent to save an orphan planet, people that were disconnected from the Father. But Jesus comes in and elevates us far above. Ephesians mm-hmm. talks about how um, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, the Father, and then he brings us to be seated next to him, and we are far above all of the things of the earth. Um, but the the orphan mindset, which is the, that's like, that's like the mindset that you would have before you're saved, um, but it also permeates into the church a lot of times. And that's basically um, this like way down here, like, oh, dear father, I, I know that I'm supposed to call you father, but I don't really relate to you like that because I don't think that you actually want me because I think I'm a sinner and that you're always mad at me. And if I do something wrong, then I got to like be sad for a while or do something. And, and like people don't ever move into the fullness of who God has desired us to be because they don't understand um, just the placement that he's brought us into. So if I understand my identity as a son or someone's identity as a daughter in Christ, what does that then do for me? How does that reposition me? Um, It essentially, it just sets us up for victory Mm because we're living from heaven to earth instead of from earth to heaven, praying about all of our problems. Like, God, would you come fix this problem down here? You start to look at it from heaven's eyes, which Mm. that's, that's, consistently how Jesus walked. It would say things like he would he looked up to heaven and the wording is actually he looked up into heaven and he saw it the way it was in a perfected place and then he comes back and releases that into this place. Through practically speaking that comes through words um, because God has put immense value on words. You know the the word spirit is um, Old Testament I think it's ruach and the new New Testament's pneuma. It's like the wind, um, and literally, as we speak words, we are releasing wind, which in us is like we're we're releasing the spirit of God, and He's actually vibrating on our our from our voice out into the world, out into creation. And there's like God found words so powerful and important that He used them to make the world. And so you find so many times that Jesus speaks to things. He says, say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and believe that you have received and it will be done. Um, 
So what's the relationship between Jesus' authority and his identity and understanding, or his understanding of his identity? Yeah. Um, rewind. <laughs> so I just like totally paused to think about that, and that was wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, when you, I mean, one, knowing ultimately that God is for you. So Jesus knows that his father's for him. He knows that like that's locked in no matter what anybody says. They say you're demonized or they say like you're crazy. No matter what anybody spoke over him as his identity, he wasn't shaken at all. He was locked on. He knew from his personal one-on-one time with the father that he is safe in the Father's love, that God actually loves him and is for him and supports the things that he walks out. Um, And so the more you understand that placement, the more you get to know God's character and the more you can actually freely, with your free will, start to live into um, who he's invited us to be, which is far beyond what we could imagine or expect. You think of Jesus as being like, that's Jesus over there. I'm not Jesus. But like God's desire is that that would be a whole lot less true than we make it, you know, that we would actually move into, like you say, the greater works than these uh, you'll do. Like that's actually what he wants, you know? And so, but you won't, you won't ever step out to try and move in greater works if you don't think that, like, if you don't understand your position as, like, a highly valued, much beloved, precious, valuable individual mm. that God so desired that he gave his only son for you. You know, like, that's how much he wanted us to be his children, that he, like, he did everything. So that concept of, like, living in power as a son of God, knowing our identity, like, what are the stories from your life that are either examples of, not that or examples of that? <laughs> um, well, the, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that's, that's funny is that it's, it's really easy to agree with our, like, identity as, like, sons of God when everything's going really awesome and when we pray for something and it happens instantly and we see the results like we believe that we should. Um, but when you are faced with the opposition of the truth, it gets um, sometimes not as easy, but way more powerful as far as shaping our character. Mm-hmm. Um, so even just like a couple of days ago, um, I was just just really practical stuff. I needed finances. I was like, okay, Lord, you know, I need some more money. Could you give me some money? Thank you. And that's just how I pray about it. <laughs> and then the next day, somebody's like, oh, here, let me give you this $200. And the next day, somebody's like, here, here's $100. Are they and doing that digitally, I assume? They, the well, they were Venmoing me. Yeah. Okay. If you're not on Venmo, I, I don't yeah. know who you are. Cool. Um, and, yeah, and so there's that. And then there's this morning, like, and, and in that situation, I'm like, yeah, duh, of course. This is how it's supposed to work. Hmm. I, like, I'm... St- I know who I am. Then all last night, every hour, I wake up every single hour, and I'm having terrible dreams, and I also am experiencing a fever. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't get sick. I don't agree with sickness. It's not supposed to be in a believer. So I like wake up in the morning. And I'm like, okay, well, now that I'm not tired, I'm going to deal with you. Sickness, leave my body in Jesus name. And it didn't listen. And it's, I'm still experiencing that thing. So I'm like, ah, this sucks. I'm supposed to talk about identity and all of this, you know, like and power, power, and, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe in this guy talking about power. And he can't even get a flu out of him. Whatever. You know, we're all in process. We're yeah. all in process. We've seen people. Anyway. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I think one, one of the things I've heard you talk about related to this that I think is really important for our like practical stepping into it as we take on that identity is that it gives us confidence to be that son or daughter all the time and kind of decompartmentalize yeah. our life. Yeah, that's huge. The 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 way that our society compartmentalizes things is so disabling. It's so disabling as far as us living out the Christian life that we are invited into. Because if you are like, here we are in church, and now we're out of church, and we're at Gringos, and I'm just cutting loose. And you know, like, and you don't realize that the person that you are in here when you're in the presence of God in worship is the same person that you are when you're talking to the mean person that is like having a hard, whatever. Like you're the same. And the less we divide our lives up, the more we can actually explore flowing out of that place consistently. So um, even, you want an example of that? No, you can give an example. I was going to say like paint a picture for us of a different way. Yeah. Um, So, I, I mean, so much of this comes down to like the outflowing of the miraculous, of healing, of the prophetic, of any of these things is us practicing them, us stepping out. Like, step one, step into a situation where if God doesn't show up, nothing happens. Step two, see if something happened. Step three, <laughs> adjust if you need to, you know? Um, it's like when, when we start actually practicing these things and, mm. and just, like, throwing ourselves out there, like, and, and when we're coming from a natural world, that's not normal for any of us to just get up and be like, ha ha, you're sick. You, like, yeah, I see a cast on you. Let me pray for you to get healed. You know, like, or, or you're, I remember real quick one. Um, when I worked at Jimmy John's across the street, um, there was this lady and she was, she was like homeless as long as I knew her, which was like from the days that I used to come down here and party and whatever. That was like a while, a long time. And one day, she was just, like, at her wit's end. She was done, and she was dehydrated and everything. I was like, well, how about we pray? And so we prayed right there, and and it was just like, when I pray, it's not like, dear God, would you please do that? It's like I typically pray declarative prayers, um, again, from heaven to earth. So I'm just like, yeah, in Jesus' name, we release the provision of heaven into her life right now. We call forth all of the finances that have been held up for whatever reason. We just release that and just like things like that. Well, she comes up a couple days later, and she has a bike and a bag of clothes that somebody gave her. And then a couple days later, she had a job. And then she, like a week later, she got off the streets. Um, But that's just an example of like circumstances in front of us. I have access to an answer. Let's just throw the answer out there. And what's the worst that can happen? The person's in the same situation they were in before. You know? So we have this identity as sons and daughters. We, we see how that happens in the life of Jesus. 
And then it gives us, like when we adopt that, it gives us the opportunity for breakthrough. How does the orphans, the orphan kind of mentality and the sonship mentality affect breakthrough in our lives? Yeah. Well, um, if you're from the, if you got operating in the orphan mentality, you're probably not expecting to hear your father talk to you. Hmm. Um, and you probably don't know his character very well, or you're at least, at least you're not thinking of it. Um, and so a lot of times, I've heard this so many times, but people will be like, okay, God told me to do this thing over here. And then like, God told me to go on this mission trip. And then right beforehand, it's like, oh, unexpected bill. God closed that door, right? Because they just ran into a circumstance that was preventing them from going to do what they thought God told them to do. And so they, the less you think God wants to speak to you, the more you're going to take every circumstance that comes your way as God's like whispering direction for your life. But when you're operating from sonship and you're just like actively hearing his voice and, and, and operating on promises, whether it's like a broad promise, like, you know, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Like that's for everybody. Um, or a individual promise, which, so, like, if Robert's supposed to go to Puerto Rico on a missions trip, right? So, um, if if he has that promise, and he's walking towards it, and then circumstances come in the way of that, that's now an opportunity for him to get stronger and strengthen his outliving of a son. Hmm. So, think about every every miracle, every divine thing, healing that Jesus did was in the face of resistance. So somebody comes up and they're like, I'm blind. Duh, that's resistance saying like, you can't see. And he's like, I'm going to break through this door. I'm going to kick that door open. I'm going to do this. So as sons, we see closed doors as potential opportunities for us to get new treasure and for us to level up in our our character and our our belief. Level up like Mario and the mushroom? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a quote from Lander about this. Put it up about orphan and that thing. Blue screen, please. Orphans don't know where they belong. Sons are accepted no matter what. And so it's this concept of like the orphan comes against the circumstance, the difficult circumstance. And because there's not like this sense of home, there's not this sense of the loving heart of the father. It's like, oh, this must be the end of the road. But a son is accepted by the father, knows his identity, encounters the circumstance, and sees it as an opportunity for breakthrough. Yeah. So leveling up, leveling kicking the up, door down, kicking the door down, and leveling up. Yeah. Um, and this is great for us when we're experimenting. Um, like any of us that have walked in in any of the the spiritual gifts. It's it come came in a process, you know. Um, it's you you move in a little bit. You you try it out. You do or don't see what you expected, and then you just take it from there. So, but when you are aware of your your sonship and how unshakable that is, you don't you're not afraid to experiment because you realize that your placement with him mm. does not get affected if you fail. Yeah. In fact, you may find more of him there. Yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, more. Love you. Love you. Love him.
And so we're just going to end with this concept. So we've talked about um, miracles, the miraculous, looking in Scripture, those things being the beginning, but they're also revealing the Father's heart. When we encounter the Father's heart in those miracles and in the miracles of our everyday lives, we begin creating a culture of miracles. And we begin taking on that mindset of sonship, and that's kind of our internal posture. But community is a huge part of that. And that's where we're going to end tonight. I mean, Lander, for me, has been somebody in my life who's constantly calling me upward into a better place. When I encounter something, and for me, I may, uh, may respond to that in a difficult way or in a defeated way, Lander's present in my life to remind me of the truth, and vice versa. Our relationship with one another is integral to us having the right mindset of who we are in Christ, our, of understanding the fullness of our identity in Jesus. And so I want us this week to, to in some way, call someone up into a higher life. I want us to commit to, at some point this week, connecting with someone with the sole, and, the sole purpose and intention of calling them into something higher, of calling them into stepping into a moment of boldness and bravery. And we may not know the specifics of what that is. It may look like on Wednesday morning, we send a text message to somebody that says, hey, today remember your identity and live into the fullness of that identity. Community is so important in our process of stepping into the fullness of the, the lives that God has created us to live. Um, this past weekend, I was hanging out with a group of friends and it was a, a wonderful time, but for some reason there was just kind of a lot of like little bickering with one another. And Tiff, I think, sitting over there said, hey, why don't we just all say something we love about everybody else? And literally at dinner, we went around the table and just like, called the fullness of our identity out of one another. And I think that's a perfect example of it. Like that wasn't an assignment from Sunday night at church, but that is the assignment that I'm giving us tonight, that we would intentionally call the people around us up into the fullness of our identity this this week so that we can be people who live miraculous lives as we understand the heart of the Father. So I'm just gonna give you a moment. Let's stand together. Close your eyes. And if you like need to set a reminder in your calendar, like that's the kind of person I am. I'm somebody who needs to put reminders in my calendar so I remember to do this stuff. But imagine if everybody in our church this week called someone else higher, called someone else into the fullness of their identity. So just close your eyes right now and maybe ask this question to the Lord. Who can I call up this week? Who can I call into a higher level of understanding and living into their identity? And and keep asking that question until there's a name. I want everybody to just ask the Lord for a name. Who can that be this week? Who can you call higher? Nobody's exempt from the assignment. We got homework this week. Everybody's eyes are closed. And I'm just going to do that thing where I'm going to say, once you get a name, I just want to see a little hand raise so I make sure that we're participating together, you know? You got a name, just give me a little wave, yeah? If you need to remind yourself somehow, do that now. Like, open your eyes and get on your phone and do the, you can put your hand down after you raise the thing. Um, and, and just remind yourself, like, hey, call this person up this week. Lord, I pray that you would call us into a deeper place with you. 
God, that we would have that identity as sons and daughters, that we would be people with huge expectation, that we will have experienced the fullness of your heart, your kindness to us. God, that we would just see you smiling over us as you perform the miraculous through our lives, as you allow us to be the extension of the embodiment of you to the people around us. Lord, just call us up this week. Call us up to you. Remind us of the highness of who we are. You know, there's that term that people in medieval movies, they go to the king and they're like, your highness, that's you. Like you're seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus. So let's live that way this week. Let's live into the fullness. and Let's call one another up. And as we sing, Lord, we just ask that you would plant these things in our hearts and our minds and our spirits, that we would be people of action, not just of word, but we would be people of deed, who love well along the way.